Interlude 14 Teft Teft could function. You learned how to do that, how to cling to the normal parts of your life so that people wouldn't be too worried, so that you wouldn't be too undependable. He stumbled sometimes, that eroded trust, to the point where it was hard to keep telling himself that he could handle it. He knew deep down that he'd end up alone again. The men of Bridge Four would tire of digging him out of trouble. But for now, Teft functioned. He nodded to Malata, who was working the oath gate, then led his men across the platform and down the ramp toward Urethiru. They were a subdued group— Few grasped the meaning of what they'd learned, but they all sensed that something had changed. Made perfect sense to Taft. It couldn't be easy now, could it? Not in his storming life. A winding path through corridors and a stairwell led them back toward their barracks. As they walked, a woman appeared in the hallway beside Taft, roughly his height, glowing with soft blue-white light. Storming Spren. He pointedly did not look at her. You have words to speak, Teft, she said in his mind. Storm you, he muttered. You have started on this path. When will you tell the others the oaths you have sworn? I didn't. She turned away from him suddenly, becoming alert, looking down the corridor toward the bridge four barracks. What? Teft stopped. Something wrong? Something is very wrong. Run quickly, Teft! He charged out in front of the men, causing them to shout after him. He scrambled to the door into their barracks and threw it open. The scent of blood immediately assaulted him. The bridge fork common room was in shambles, and blood stained the floor. Teft shouted, rushing through the room to find three corpses near the back. He dropped his spear and fell to his knees beside Rock, Bissick, and Eth. Still breathing, Teft thought, feeling at Rock's neck. Still breathing. Remember Kaladin's training, you fool? Check the others, he shouted as more bridgemen joined him. He pulled off his coat and used it on Rock's wounds. The horn-eater was sliced up good, a half-dozen cuts that looked like they'd come from a knife. Bissig's alive, Pete called, though. Storms, that's a shard-blade wound. Eth, Lopin said, kneeling beside the third body. Storms. Teft hesitated. Eth had been the one carrying the honor blade today. Dead. They came for the blade, he realized. Huyo, who was better at field medicine than Teft, took over ministering to Rock. Blood on his hands, Teft stumbled back. We need Renarin, Pete said. It's Rock's best chance. But where did he go? Lynn said. He was at the meeting but left. She looked toward Lauren, one of the other former messengers, fastest among them. Run for the guard post. They should have a span rate to contact the oath gate. Lauren dashed out of the room. Nearby, Bissig groaned. His eyes fluttered open. His entire arm was gray and his uniform had been sliced through. Bissig, Pete asked. Storms, what happened? Thought, thought it was one of us, Bissig muttered. I didn't really look until he attacked. He leaned back groaning, closing his eyes. He had on a Bridgman coat. Stormfather, Leighton said. Did you see the face? Bissig nodded. Nobody I recognize. A short man, Alethi. Bridge four coat. Lieutenant's knots on the shoulder. Lopin nearby frowned, then glanced toward Teft. A bridge four officer's coat worn as a disguise. Teft's coat, which he'd sold weeks ago in the market, to get a few spheres. He stumbled back as they hovered around Rock and Bissick, then fled through a falling patch of shame spren into the hallway outside. Part 5 New Unity The Knights Radiant, Ash, Navani, Adolin, Teravangian, Yonagon, Polona, Vire, Wit. 114. The Cost. Five and a half years ago. Dalinar came to himself, gasping in the cabin of a storm wagon. Heart pounding, he spun about, kicking aside empty bottles and lifting his fists. 
Outside, the riddens of a storm washed the walls with rain. What in the Almighty's tent name had that been? One moment he'd been lying in his bunk, the next he had been... Well, he didn't rightly remember. What was the drink doing to him now? Someone rapped on his door. Yes, Dalinar said, his voice hoarse. The caravan is preparing to leave, Bright Lord. Already? The rain hasn't even stopped yet. I think they're, um, eager to be rid of us, sir. Dalinar pushed open the door. Felt stood outside, a lithe man with long drooping mustaches and pale skin. Had to have some shin blood in him, judging by those eyes. Though Dalinar hadn't expressly said what he intended to do out here in Hexie, his soldiers seemed to understand. Dalinar wasn't sure whether he should be proud of their loyalty or scandalized by how easily they accepted his intention to visit the Night Watcher. Of course, one of them, Belt himself, had been this way before. Outside, the caravan workers hitched up their chawls. They'd agreed to drop him off here, along their path, but refused to take him farther toward the valley. Can you get us the rest of the way? Dalinar asked. Sure, Belt said. We're less than a day off. Then tell the good caravan master that we will take our wagons and split from him here. Pay him what he asked, Felt, And then some on top. If you say so, bright lord. Seems that having a shard-bearer along with him should be payment enough. Explain that, in part, we're buying his silence. Delinar waited until the rain had mostly stopped, then threw on his coat and stepped out to join Felt, walking at the front of the wagons. He didn't feel like being cooped up any longer. He'd expected this land to look like the Alethi Plains. After all, the windswept flatlands of Hexi were not unlike those of his homeland. Yet strangely, there wasn't a rock bud in sight. The ground was covered in wrinkles, like frozen ripples in a pond perhaps two or three inches deep. They were crusty on the stormward side, covered with lichen. On the leeward side, grass spread on the ground, flattened. The sparse trees here were scrawny, hunched-over things with thistle leaves. Their branches bent so far leeward, they almost touched the ground. It was like one of the heralds had strolled through this place and bent everything sideways. The nearby mountainsides were bare, blasted and scoured raw. Not far now, sir, Felt said. The short man barely came up to the middle of Dalinar's chest. When you came before, Dalinar said, what, what did you see? To be frank, sir, nothing. She didn't come to me. Doesn't visit everyone, you see. He clapped his hands, then breathed on them. It had been winter lately. You'll want to go in right after dark. Alone, sir. She avoids groups. Any idea why she didn't visit you? Well, best I could figure, she doesn't like foreigners. I might have trouble, too. You're a little less foreign, sir. Up ahead, a group of small dark creatures burst from behind a tree and shot into the air, clumped together. Dalinar gaped at their speed and agility. Chickens, he said. Little black ones, each the size of a man's fist. Felt chuckled. Yes, wild chickens range this far east. Can't see what they'd be doing on this side of the mountains, though. The chickens eventually picked another bent-over tree and settled in its branches. Sir, Felt said, forgive me for asking, but you sure you want to do this? You'll be in her power, in there, and you don't get to pick the cost. Delinar said nothing, feet crunching on fans of weeds that trembled and rattled when he touched them. There was so much emptiness here in Hexi. In Alethkar, you couldn't go more than a day or two without running into a farming village. They hiked for a good three hours, during which Dalinar felt both an anxiety to be finished and, at the same time, a reluctance to progress. He had enjoyed his recent sense of purpose. Simultaneously, his decision had given him excuses. 
If he was going to the Night Watcher anyway, then why fight the drink? He'd spent much of the trip intoxicated. Now, with the alcohol running out, the voices of the dead seemed to chase him. They were worst when he tried to sleep, and he felt a dull ache behind his eyes from poor rest. Sir? Belt eventually asked. Look there. He pointed to a thin strip of green painting the windswept mountainside. As they continued, Dalinar got a better view. The mountains split into a valley here, and since the opening pointed to the northeast, foothills shielded the interior from high storms. So plant life had exploded inside. Vines, ferns, flowers, and grasses grew together in a wall of underbrush. Trees stretched above them, and these weren't the durable stump weights of his homeland. These were gnarled, tall, and twisted, with branches that wound together. They were overgrown with draping moss and vines, lifespren bobbing about them in plentitude. It all piled atop itself, reeds and branches sticking out in all directions, ferns so overgrown with vines that they drooped beneath the weight. It reminded Dalinar of a battlefield, a grand tapestry depicting people locked in mortal combat, each one struggling for advantage. How does one enter? Dalinar asked. How do you pass through that? There are some trails, Felt said. If you look hard enough. Shall we camp here, sir? You can scout out a path tomorrow and make your final decision. He nodded, and they set up at the edge of the breach, close enough he could smell the humidity inside. They set up the wagons as a barrier between two trees, and the men soon had tents assembled. They were quick to get a fire going. There was a feeling to the place, like you could hear all of those plants growing. The valley shivered and cracked. When wind blew out, it was hot and muggy. The sun set behind the mountains, plunging them into darkness. Soon after, Dalinar started inward. He couldn't wait another day. The sound of it lured him, the vines rustling, moving as tiny animals scampered between them, leaves curling. The men didn't call after him. They understood his decision. He stepped into the musty, damp valley, vines brushing his head. He could barely see in the darkness, but felt had been right. Trails revealed themselves as vines and branches bent away from him, allowing Dalinar entrance with the same reluctance as guards allowing an unfamiliar man into the presence of their king. He had hoped for the thrill to aid him here. This was a challenge, was it not? He felt nothing, not even a hint. He trudged through the darkness and suddenly felt stupid. What was he doing here? Chasing a pagan superstition while the rest of the high princes gathered to punish Gavilar's killers? He should be at the Shattered Plains. That was where he'd change himself, where he would go back to the man he'd been before. He wanted to escape the drink. He just needed to summon Oathbringer and find someone to fight. Who knew what was out there in this forest? If he were a bandit, this was certainly where he would set up. People must flock here. Damnation, he wouldn't be surprised to discover that someone had started all this simply to draw in unsuspecting marks. Wait, what was that? A sound different from scurries in the underbrush or vines withdrawing. He stopped in place, listening. It was... weeping. Oh, almighty above, no! He heard a boy weeping, pleading for his life. It sounded like Adolin. Dalinar turned from the sound, searching the darkness. Other screams and pleas joined that one, people burning as they died. In a moment of panic, he turned to run back the way he'd come. He immediately tripped in the underbrush. He collapsed against rotten wood, vines twisting under his fingers. People screamed and howled all around, the sounds echoing in the near-absolute darkness. Frantic, he summoned Oathbringer and stumbled to his feet, then began slashing, trying to clear space. Those voices! All around him! He pushed past a tree trunk, fingers digging into the hanging moss and wet bark. Was the entrance this way? Suddenly he saw himself in the unclaimed hills, fighting those traitorous parchmen. 
He saw himself killing and hacking and murdering. He saw his lust, eyes wide and teeth clenched in a dreadful grin, a skull's grin. He saw himself strangling Elokar, who had never possessed his father's poise or charm. Dalinar took the throne. It should have been his anyway. His armies poured into Herdaz, then Yaakoved. He became a king of kings, a mighty conqueror whose accomplishments far overshadowed those of his brother. Dalinar forged a unified Vorin empire that covered half of Roshar, an unparalleled feat. And he saw them burn. Hundreds of villages, thousands upon thousands of people. It was the only way. If a town resisted, you burned it to the ground, you slaughtered any who fought back, and you left the corpses of their loved ones to feed the scavengers. You sent terror before you like a storm until your enemies surrendered. The rift would be but the first in a long line of examples. He saw himself standing upon the heaped corpses laughing. Yes, he had escaped the drink. He had become something grand and terrible. This was his future. Gasping, Dalinar dropped to his knees in the dark forest and allowed the voices to swarm around him. He heard Evie among them, crying as she burned to death, unseen, unknown, alone. He let Oathbringer slip from his fingers and shatter to mist. The crying faded until it was distant. Son of honor, a new sound whispered on the winds, a voice like the rustling of the trees. He opened his eyes to find himself in a tiny clearing bathed in starlight. A shadow moved in the darkness beyond the trees, accompanied by the noise of twisting vines and blowing grass. Hello, human. You smell of desperation. The feminine voice was like a hundred overlapping whispers. The elongated figure moved among the trees, ringing the clearing, stalking him like a predator. They, they say you can change a man, Dalinar said, weary. The night watcher seeped from the darkness. She was a dark green mist, vaguely shaped like a crawling person. Two long arms reached out, pulling her along as she floated above the ground. Her essence, like a tail, extended far behind her weaving among tree trunks and disappearing into the forest. Indistinct and vaporous, she flowed like a river or an eel, and the only part of her with any specific detail was her smooth, feminine face. She glided toward him until her nose was mere inches from his own, her silken black eyes meeting his. Tiny hands sprouted from the misty sides of her head. They reached out, taking his face and touching it with a thousand cold yet gentle caresses. What is it you wish of me? the night watcher asked. What boon drives you, son of honor, son of odium? She started to circle him. The tiny black hands kept touching his face, but their arms stretched out, becoming tentacles. What would you like? she asked. Renown? Wealth? Skill? Would you like to be able to swing a sword and never tire? No, Delinar whispered. Beauty? Followers? I can feed your dreams, make you glorious. Her dark mists wrapped around him. The tiny tendrils tickled his skin. She brought her face right up to his again. What is your boon? Dalinar blinked tears, listening to the sounds of the children dying in the distance, and whispered a single word. Forgiveness. The night watcher's tendrils dodged away from his face like splayed fingers. She leaned back, pursing her lips. Perhaps it is possessions you wish, she said. Spheres, gemstones, shards, a blade that bleeds darkness and cannot be defeated. I can give it to you. Please, Dalinar said, drawing in a ragged breath. Tell me, 
Can I... Can I ever be forgiven? It wasn't what he'd intended to request. He couldn't remember what he'd intended to request. The night watcher curled around him, agitated. Forgiveness is no boon. What should I do to you? What should I give you? Speak it, human, I... That is enough, child. This new voice startled them both. If the night watcher's voice was like whispering wind, this one was like tumbling stones. The night watcher backed away from him in a sharp motion. Hesitant, Dalinar turned and found a woman with brown skin, the color of darkwood bark, standing at the edge of the clearing. She had a matronly build and wore a sweeping brown dress. Mother, the night watcher said. Mother, he came to me. I was going to bless him. Thank you, child, the woman said. But this boon is beyond you. She focused on Dalinar. You may attend me, Dalinar Colin. Numbed by the surreal spectacle, Dalinar stood up. Who are you? Someone beyond your authority to question. She strode into the forest and Dalinar joined her. Moving through the underbrush seemed easier now, though the vines and branches pulled toward the strange woman. Her dress seemed to meld with it all, the brown cloth becoming bark or grass. The night watcher curled along beside them, her dark mist flowing through the holes in the underbrush. Dalinar found her distinctly unnerving. You must forgive my daughter, the woman said. This is the first time in centuries I come personally to speak with one of you. And this isn't how it happens every time? Of course not. I let her hold court here. The woman brushed her fingers through the night watcher's misty hair. It helps her understand you. Dalinar frowned, trying to make sense of all this. What? Why did you choose to come out now? Because of the attention others pay you, and what did I tell you of demanding questions? Dalinar shut his mouth. Why have you come here, human? Do you not serve honor, the one you call Almighty? Look unto him for forgiveness. I asked the Ardens, Dalinar said. I didn't get what I wanted. You got what you deserved, the truth you have crafted for yourselves. I am doomed, then, Dalinar whispered, stopping in place. He could still hear those voices. I weep, mother. She looked back at him. I hear them when I close my eyes, all around me, begging me to save them. They're driving me mad. She contemplated him, the night watcher twining around her legs, then around Dalinar's, then back again. This woman, she was more than he could see. Vines from her dress curled into the earth, permeating everything. In that moment he knew that he was not seeing her, but instead a fragment with which he could interact. This woman extended into eternity. This will be your boon. I will not make of you the man you can become. I will not give you the aptitude or the strength nor will I take from you your compulsions. But I will give you a pruning, a careful excision to let you grow. The cost will be high. Please, Delinar said. Anything. She stepped back to him. In doing this, I provide for him a weapon. Dangerous. Very dangerous. Yet all things must be cultivated. What I take from you will grow back eventually. This is part of the cost. 
It will do me well to have a part of you, even if you ultimately become his. You were always bound to come to me. I control all things that can be grown, nurtured. That includes the thorns. She seized him, and the trees descended, the branches, the vines. The forest curled around him and crept into the crevices around his eyes, under his fingernails, into his mouth and ears, into his pores. A boon and a curse, the mother said. That is how it is done. I will take these things from your mind, and with them I take her. I— Delinar tried to speak as plant life engulfed him. Wait! Remarkably, the vines and branches stopped. Dalinar hung there, speared by vines that had somehow pushed through his skin. There was no pain, but he felt the tendrils writhing inside his very veins. Speak. You'll take, he spoke with difficulty. You'll take Evie from me? All memories of her. This is the cost. Should I forbear? Delinar squeezed his eyes shut. Evie, he had never deserved her. Do it, he whispered. The vines and branches surged forward and began to rip away pieces of him from the inside. Dalinar crawled from the forest the next morning. His men rushed to him, bringing water and bandages, though strangely he needed neither. But he was tired. Very, very tired. They propped him in the shade of his storm wagon, exhaustion spread spinning in the air. Molly, Felt's wife, quickly scribed a note via span reed back to the ship. Dalinar shook his head, memory fuzzy. What? What had happened? Had he really asked for forgiveness? He couldn't fathom why. Had he felt that bad for failing... He stretched for the word. For failing... Storms, his wife. Had he felt so bad for failing her by letting assassins claim her life? He searched his mind and found that he couldn't recall what she looked like. No image of her face, no memories of their time together. Nothing. He did remember these last few years as a drunkard. The years before spent in conquest. In fact, everything about his past seemed clear, except... Her. Well, Felt said, kneeling beside him, I assume it uh, happened. Yes, Dalinar said. Anything we need to know about? he asked. I once heard of a man who visited here, and from then on every person he touched fell upward instead of down. You needn't worry. My curse is for me alone. How strange to be able to remember scenes where she had been, but not remember, um, Storms Takem? Her name. What was my wife's name? Dalinar asked. Shh, Felt said. It came out as a blur of sounds. Dalinar started. She'd been taken completely? Had that, that been the cost? Yes. Grief had caused him to suffer these last years. He'd suffered a breakdown at losing the woman he loved. Well, he'd assumed that he'd loved her. Curious. Nothing. It seemed that the Night Watcher had taken memories of his wife, and in so doing given him the boon of peace. However, he did still feel sorrow and guilt for failing Gavilar, so he wasn't completely healed. He still wanted a bottle to numb the grief of losing his brother. He would break that habit. When men abused drink under his command, he'd found that the solution was to work them hard and not let them taste strong wines. He could do the same to himself. It wouldn't be easy, but he could manage it. Dalinar relaxed, but felt like something else was missing inside of him, something he couldn't identify. He listened to his men breaking camp, telling jokes now that they could leave. Beyond that, he heard rustling leaves, and beyond that, nothing. 
Shouldn't he have heard? He shook his head. Almighty, what a foolish quest this had been. Had he really been so weak that he needed a forest spren to relieve his grief? I need to be in communication with the king, Dalinar said, standing. Tell our men at the docks to contact the armies. By the time I arrive, I want to have battle maps and plans for the Parshendi conquest. He'd moped long enough. He had not always been the best of brothers or the best of light eyes. He'd failed to follow the codes, and that had cost Gavilar his life. Never again. He straightened his uniform and glanced at Molly. Tell the sailors that, while they're in port, they're to find me an Alethi copy of the book called The Way of Kings. I'd like to hear it read to me again. Last time I wasn't in my right mind. 115. The Wrong Passion They came from another world, using powers that we have been forbidden to touch. Dangerous powers of spren and surges. They destroyed their lands and have come to us begging. From the Aela Steely A spry ocean wind blew in through the window, shaking Dalinar's hair as he stood in his villa in Thalen City. The wind was sharply chill, crisp. It didn't linger, but passed him by, turning the pages of his book with a quiet ruffling sound. It fled from the Everstorm. Crimson, furious, burning. The Everstorm's clouds flowed in from the west. Like blood billowing in water, each new thunderhead spurted from the one behind it, hemorrhaging fits of lightning. And beneath the storm, within its shadow and upon those tempestuous seas, ships dotted the waves. Ships, he whispered. They sailed during the storm? He controls it, the stormfather said, his voice diminutive, like the pattering of rain. He uses it, as honor once used me. So much for stopping the enemy in the ocean. Dalinar's fledgling armada had fled to take shelter from the storm, and the enemy had sailed in uncontested. The coalition had shattered anyway. They wouldn't defend this city. The storm slowed as it darkened the bay in front of Thalen City, then seemed to stop. It dominated the sky to the west, but strangely did not proceed. Enemy ships landed in its shadow, many ramming right up onto the shores. Amaram's troops fluttered out of the gates to seize the ground between bay and city. There wasn't enough room for them to maneuver on top of the wall. The Alethi were field troops, and their best chance of victory would involve hitting the Parshmen while they disembarked. Behind them, Thalen troops mounted the wall, but they were not veterans. Their navy had always been their strength. Dalinar could faintly hear General Kahl on the street below, shouting for runners and scribes to send word to Yuathiru, calling up the Alethi reinforcements. Too slow, Dalinar thought. Suitably deploying troops could take hours, and though Amaram was hustling his men, they weren't going to get together in time for a proper assault on the ships. And then there were the fused, dozens of which launched into the skies from the ships. He imagined his armies bottlenecked as they left the Oath Gate, assaulted from the air as they tried to fight through the streets to reach the lower portion of the city. It came together with a frightening beauty— their armada fleeing the storm, their armies unprepared, the sudden evaporation of support. He's planned for everything. It's what he does. You know, cultivation warned me that my memories would return. She said she was pruning me. Do you know why she did that? Did I have to remember? I do not know. Is it relevant? That depends upon the answer to a question, Dalinar said. He carefully closed the book atop the dresser before the window, then felt the symbols on its cover. What is the most important step that a man can take? He straightened his blue uniform, then slipped the tome off the table. With the way of kings a comfortable weight in his hand, he stepped out the door and into the city. All this way? Shalon whispered, and they're already here? 
Kaladin and Adolin stood like two statues to either side of her, their faces twin stoic masks. She could see the oath gate distinctly. That round platform at the edge of the bridge was the exact size of the control buildings. Hundreds upon hundreds of strange spren stood in the lake of beads that marked the shore of Thalen City. They looked vaguely humanoid, though they were twisted and odd, like shimmering dark light. More the scribbled outlines of people, like drawings she'd done in a maddened state. On the shore, a large dark mass of living red light surged across the obsidian ground. It was something more terrible than all of these, something that made her eyes hurt to look upon. And as if that weren't enough, a half-dozen fused passed overhead, then landed on the bridge that led to the Oathgate platform. They knew, Adolin said. They led us here with that cursed vision. Be wary, Shallan whispered. Of anyone who claims to be able to see the future. No, no, that wasn't from him. Kaladin looked between them, frantic, and finally turned to Syl for support. It was like when the Stormfather, I mean, Azure warned us from this path, Adolin said. And what else could we have done? Kaladin said, then hushed his voice, pulling back with the rest of them into the shadowed concealment of the trees. We couldn't go to the Horn Eater Peaks like Azure wanted. The enemy waits there too. Everyone says their ships patrol there. Kaladin shook his head. This was our only option. We don't have enough food to return, Adolin said. Even if we did, Syl whispered. Where would we go? They hold Celebrant. They're watching this oath gate, so they're probably watching the others. Shallan sank down on the obsidian ground. Pattern put his hand on her shoulder, humming softly with concern. Her body yearned for stormlight to wash away her fatigue. Light could make an illusion, change this world into something else, at least for a few moments, so she could pretend. Kaladin is right, Syl said. We can't back down now. Our remaining gemstones won't last much longer. We have to try, Kaladin said with a nod. Try what, Cal? Adolin said. Take on an army of void bringers by ourselves? I don't know how the portal works, Shallan added. I don't even know how much stormlight it might require. We'll, we'll try something, Kaladin said. We have stormlight still? An illusion? A distraction? We could get you to the oath gate and you could find out how to free us. He shook his head. We can make it work. We have to. Shallan bowed her head, listening to pattern hum. Some problems could not be fixed with a lie. Yasna carefully stepped out of the way of a troop of soldiers running for the oath gate. She had been informed via span read that troops were gathering in Eurythiru to come help. Unfortunately, they would soon have to acknowledge what she already knew. Thalen City was lost. Their adversary had played this hand too well. That angered her, but she kept that emotion in check. At the very least, she hoped that Amaram's band of malcontents would soak up arrows and spears long enough to let the Thalen civilians evacuate. Lightning from the storm lit the city red. Focus. She had to focus on what she could do, not what she had failed to do. First, she had to see that her uncle didn't get himself killed fighting a useless battle. Second, she needed to help evacuate Thalen City. She had already warned Eurythiru to prepare for refugees. Both these goals would wait a short time as she dealt with a matter even more pressing. The facts align, Ivory said. The truth, that has always been, will now soon manifest to all. He rode upon the high collar of her dress, tiny, holding on with one hand. You are correct. A traitor is. Yasna undid the buttons on her safe hand sleeve and pinned it back, exposing the gloved hand underneath. In preparation, she'd also worn a scout's yellow and gold hava, with shorter skirts slit at the sides and front, trousers underneath. 
sturdy boots. She turned out of the path of another group of cursing soldiers and strode up the steps to the doorway of the temple of Pelaya Elin. True to the information she'd been given, she found Renarin Kolin kneeling on the floor inside, head bowed, alone. A spren rose from his back, bright red, shimmering like the heat of a mirage, a crystalline structure like a snowflake, though it dripped light upward toward the ceiling. In her pouch, she carried a sketch of the proper spren of the truth watchers, and this was something different. Yasna put her hand to the side, then, taking a deep breath, summoned ivory as a shard blade. Venley hopped down from the ship's improvised gangway. The city before her was yet another marvel. Built up the side of a mountain, it looked almost like it had been cut from the stone, sculpted like the winds and rain had shaped the shattered plains. Hundreds of singers streamed around her. Hulking fused walked among them, bearing carapace armor as impressive as any shard plate. Some of the ordinary singers wore war form, but unlike their Alethi counterparts, they had not been through combat training. Azish, Thalen, Marathi, a host of nationalities, these newly awakened singers were frightened, uncertain, venly attuned agony. Would they force her to march to the front line? She didn't have much battle training either. Even with a form of power, she'd be cut to ribbons. Like my people on the field of Narak, who were sacrificed to birth the Everstorm. Odium seemed very quick to expend the lives of both listener and singer. Timber pulsed to peace in her pouch, and Venley rested her hand on it. Hush, she whispered to Agony. Hush, do you want one of them to hear you? Timber reluctantly softened her pulsings though Venley could still feel a faint vibration from her pouch. And that, that relaxed her. She almost thought that she could hear the rhythm of peace herself. One of the hulking fused called for her. You, listener woman, come. Venley attuned the rhythm of destruction. She would not be intimidated by these, gods though they be. She stepped up to this one and kept her head high. The fused handed her a sword in a sheath. She took it, then attuned subservience. I've used an axe before, but not- Carry it, he said, eyes glowing softly red. You may need to defend yourself. She did not object further. There was a fine line between respectful confidence and defiance. She belted the sword on her slender body, wishing she had some carapace. Now, the fused said to Conceit, striding forward and expecting her to keep up. Tell me what this little one is saying. Venley followed him to a gathering of singers in work form, holding spears. She had been speaking to the fused in the ancient language, but these were speaking in Thalen. I'm an interpreter, she thought, relaxing. That's why they wanted me on the battlefield. What was it? Venley said to Derision, addressing the one the fused had indicated. You wished to say to the Holy One? We, the singer licked his lips. We aren't soldiers, ma'am. We're fishers. What are we doing here? Though a shade of the rhythm of anxiety laced his words, his cringing form and face were the stronger indication. He spoke and acted like a human. She interpreted. You are here to do as you are told, the fuse told them through Venley. In return, you are rewarded with further opportunities to serve. Though his rhythm was derision, he didn't seem angry. More as if he were lecturing a child. She passed that along, and the sailors looked to each other, shuffling uncomfortably. They wished to object, she told the fused. I can read it in them. They may speak, he said. She prompted them, and their leader looked down, 
then spoke to anxiety. It's just that Thalen City? This is our home. We're expected to attack it? Yes, the fused said after Venley interpreted. They enslaved you. They tore your families apart, treated you like dumb animals. Do you not thirst for vengeance? Vengeance? The sailor said, looking to his fellows for support. We're glad to be free. But, I mean, some of them treated us pretty nice. Can't we just go settle somewhere and leave the Thalens alone? No, the fused said. Venley interpreted, then jumped to follow him as he stalked off. Great one, she asked to subservience. These have the wrong passion, he said. The ones who attacked Kolinar did so gladly. The Alethi are a warlike people, great one. It's not surprising they passed this on to their slaves. And perhaps these were better treated? They were slaves for far too long. We need to show them a better way. Venley stuck close to the fused, happy to have found one that was both sane and reasonable. He didn't shout at the groups they visited, many of whom shared similar complaints. He merely had to repeat the same sorts of phrases. You must seize vengeance, little ones. You must earn your passion. Qualify yourselves for greater service, and you will be elevated to the place of a regal, given a form of power. This land was yours long ago before they stole it. You have been trained to be docile. We will teach you to be strong again. The fused remained calm, but fierce, like a smoldering fire, controlled, but ready to burst alight. He eventually walked to join some of his fellows. Around them, the Singer army formed up awkwardly, coating the land just east of the bay. Alethi troops mustered across a short battlefield, banners flapping. They had archers, heavy infantry, light infantry, even some outriders on horses. Venley hummed to agony. This was going to be a slaughter. She suddenly felt something odd, like a rhythm, but oppressive, demanding. It shook the very air, and the ground beneath her feet trembled. Lightning in the clouds behind seemed to flash to this rhythm, and in a moment she saw that the area around her was filled with ghostly spren. Those are the spirits of the dead, she realized, fused who haven't yet chosen a body. Most were twisted to the point that she barely recognized them as singers. Two were roughly the size of buildings. One dominated even these, a creature of swirling violence, tall as a small hill, seemingly made up entirely of red smoke. She could see these overlaid on the real world, but somehow knew they would be invisible to most. She could see into the other world. That happened sometimes right before... A blistering heat shone behind her. Venley braced herself. She usually only saw him during the storms, but this was a storm. It hovered behind, immobile, churning the seas. Light crystallized beside her, forming an ancient parchman with a face marbled gold and white, and a regal scepter he carried like a cane. For once, his presence didn't vaporize her immediately. Venley released a relieved breath. This was more an impression than his true being. Still, power streamed from him like the tendrils of a vine bud waving in the wind, vanishing into infinity. Odium had come to personally supervise this battle. Teft hid. He couldn't face the others, not after, after what he'd done. Rock and Bissig bleeding, Eth dead. The room destroyed, the honor blades stolen. He had, he had honor bridge four, uniform. Teft scrambled through the rock hallways, passing shamespren in bursts, looking for a place where nobody could see him. He'd done it again, 
to yet another group that trusted him, just like with his family whom he'd sold out in a misguided attempt at righteousness, just like with his squad in Sadius's army whom he'd abandoned for his addiction. And now, and now Bridge Four? He tripped on an uneven bit of stone in the dark hallway and fell, grunting, scraping his hand against the floor. He groaned, then lay there, knocking his head against the stone. Would that he could find some place hidden and squeeze inside, never ever to be found again. When he looked up, she was standing there, the woman made of light and air with curls of hair that vanished into mist. Why are you following me? Teft growled. Go pick one of the others. Collect, pick anyone but me. He rose and pushed past her. She had barely any substance, and continued down the hallway. Light from ahead showed that he'd accidentally made his way to the outer ring of the tower, where windows and balconies overlooked the oathgate platforms. He stopped by a stone doorway, puffing, holding on with a hand that bled from the knuckles. Teft, you don't want me. I'm broken. Pickle open. Rock. Sigzel. Damnation woman. I... What was that? Drawn by faint sounds, Teft walked into the empty room. Those sounds. Shouts? He walked out onto the balcony. Below, figures with marbled skin fluttered across one of the Oathgate platforms, the one that led to Kolinar. They were supposed to be locked, unusable. Scouts and soldiers began to shout in panic down below. Eurythiru was under attack. Puffing from her run, Navani scrambled up the last few steps onto the wall of Thalen City. Here she found Queen Fen's retinue. Finally, she checked her arm clock. If only she could find a fabriel that would manipulate exhaustion, not just pain. Wouldn't that be something? There were exhaustion spren, after all. Navani strode along the wall walk toward Fen. Below, Amaram's troops flew the new Sadius banner, the axe and the tower, white on forest green. Anticipation spren and fear spren, the eternal attendants of the battlefield, grew up around them. Sadius's men were still streaming through the gates, but already blocks of archers moved forward. They'd soon start pelting the disorganized Parshman army. That storm, though. The enemy only keeps coming, Fenn said as Navani approached, her admirals making room. I'll soon get to judge your famed Alethi troops firsthand, as they fight an impossible battle. Actually, Navani said, we're better off than it looks. The new Sadius is a renowned tactician. His soldiers are well-rested, and if lacking in discipline, known for their tenacity, we can attack the enemy before it finishes deploying. Then if they rebound and overwhelm us with numbers, we can pull back into the city until we get reinforcements. Kamakal, Fen's consort, nodded. This is winnable, Fen. We might even be able to capture some of our ships back. The ground shook. For a moment, Navani felt that she was on a swaying ship. She cried out, grabbing the battlement to keep from falling. Out in the field, between the enemy troops and the Alethi ones, the ground shattered. Lines and cracks split the stone, and then an enormous stone arm pulled itself from the ground, the fractures having outlined its hand, forearm, elbow, and upper arm. A monster easily thirty feet tall pulled itself from the stone, dropping chips and dust on the army below. Like a skeleton made of rock, it had a wedge-shaped head with deep, molten red eyes. Venley got to watch the thunderclasts awaken. Among the waiting spirits were two larger masses of energy, souls so warped, so mangled, they didn't seem singer at all. One crawled into the stone ground, somehow inhabiting it like a spren taking residence in a gem heart. The stone became its form. Then it ripped itself free of the rock, 
Around her, the Parshman stumbled back in awe, so surprised that they actually drew Spren. The thing loomed over the human forces while its companion climbed into the stone ground, but didn't rip out immediately. There was one other, mightier than even these. It was out in the water of the bay, but when she looked into the other world, she couldn't help but glance toward it. If those two lesser souls had created such daunting stone monsters, then what was that mountain of power? In the physical realm, the fused knelt and bowed their heads toward Odium, so they could see him too. Venley knelt quickly, knocking her knees against the stone. Timber pulsed to anxiety, and Venley put her hand on the pouch, squeezing it. Quiet. We can't fight him. Turash, Odium said, resting fingers upon the shoulder of the fuse she had been following. Old friend, you look well in this new body. Thank you, master, Turash said. Your mind holds firm, Turash. I am proud of you. Odium waved towards Thalen City. I have prepared a grand army for our victory today. What do you think of our prize? An excellent position of great import, even without the oath gate, Tarash said. But I fear for our army's master. Oh? Odium asked. They are weak, untrained, and frightened. Many may refuse to fight. They don't crave vengeance, master. Even with the thunderclast, we may be outmatched. These? Odium asked looking over his shoulder at the gathered singers. Oh, Turash, you think too small, my friend. These are not my army. I brought them here to watch. Watch what? Venley asked, looking up. She cringed, but Odium paid her no mind. Odium held his hands to the sides, yellow-gold power streaming behind his figure like a wind made visible. Beyond him in the other place, that red-churning power became more real. It was pulled into this realm completely, and the ocean boiled. Something came surging out, something primeval, something Venley had felt but never truly known. Red mist, ephemeral, like a shadow you see on a dark day and mistake for something real. Charging red horses, angry and galloping, the forms of men killing and dying, shedding blood and reveling in it. Bones piled atop one another, making a hill upon which men struggled. The red mist climbed up from the surging waves, rolling out onto an empty section of rock, northward along the rim of the water. It brought to her a lust for the battlefield, a beautiful focus, a thrill for the fight. The largest of the spren, the roiling mass of red light, vanished from Shadesmar. Kaladin gasped and walked closer to the outer edge of the trees, feeling that power vacate this place and go to the other? Something's happening, he said to Adolin and Shallan, who were still discussing what to do. We might have an opening. They joined him and watched as the strange army of Spren began to vanish too, winking out in waves. The Oath Gate? Shallan asked. Maybe they're using it? In moments, only the six fused remained, guarding the bridge. Six, Kaladin thought. Can I defeat six? Did he need to? I can challenge them as a distraction, he said to the others. Maybe we can use some illusions as well? We can draw them off while Shallan sneaks over and figures out how to work the Oath Gate. I suppose we don't have any other choice, Adolin said. But... What? Kaladin said, urgent. Aren't you worried about where that army went? Passion, Odium said. There is great passion here. Benley felt cold. I have prepared these men for decades, Odium said. Men who want nothing so much as something to break. 
to gain vengeance against the one who killed their high prince. Let the singers watch and learn. I've prepared a different army to fight for us today. Ahead of them, on the battlefield, the human ranks slumped, their banner wavering. A man in glittering shard plate sitting upon a white horse led them. Deep within his helm, something started glowing red. The dark spren flew toward the men, finding welcoming bodies and willing flesh. The red mist made them lust, made their minds open, and the spren then bonded to the men, slipping into those open souls. Master, you have learned to inhabit humans, Turash said to subservience. Spren have always been able to bond with them, Turash, Odium said. It merely requires the right mindset and the right environment. Ten thousand Alethi in green uniforms gripped their weapons, their eyes glowing a deep, dangerous red. Go, Odium whispered. Colin would have sacrificed you. Manifest your anger. Kill the Blackthorn who murdered your High Prince. Set your passion free. Give me your pain and seize this city in my name. The army turned and, led by a shard-bearer in gleaming plate, attacked Thalen City.